0: Cryptic Code. We're your hosts, Harmon,
1: Kenzie, and Jessica.
0: And we like to talk about cryptids, aliens, and generally anything spooky.
2: And we cuss a lot.
0: And this is it the end of a saga. For the last, what, two months,
2: <laughs> we have
0: delved deep into the myths mysteries at that most mystical medium of melancholy, Point Pleasant's one and only Mothman. There's been an absolutely wild ride covering not only the titular cryptid, but aliens, conspiracies, UFOs, and all kinds of paranormal shenanigans. And today, it all comes to a head. While we have finished the story of the Mothman, at least during his point-pleasant heyday, the legacy and mystery of the creature remain. So this episode will be dedicated to the pop culture and theories about the Mothman before moving on to our final conclusion. So, join us for one last ride. As we delve into episode five of the Mothman saga titled In the Shadow of the Moth. Beautiful title. Um, Beautiful
2: beautiful title.
0: (laughs) Uh JP won't be joining us today. Uh work schedules are very hard. And so just be Kenzie, me, and Jessica. Our first time recording together. And I'm gonna be honest, folks, this episode is going to be a lot shorter because I left like a good 30 minute gap for me to argue with JP and our skeptic. So yeah. Oh my
2: God. I I love that you left like just a chunk of time dedicated just to his argument.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like he was supposed to be a big part of this. This is going to be our final show. But Let's begin with pop culture. And what is there to even say? Mothman is a monolith of cryptozoological fascination. He's literally challenged Bigfoot for the spot of America's favorite cryptid, at least earning a spot among the big three. From books to movies to a whole festival, the legacy of the Mothman has left quite an impact. So, where do we? The book seem as good a place as any. Mothman was the subject of two feature books published both in 1970. One was Grey Barker's The Silver Bridge, which helped cement the idea of a connection between Mothman and the collapse of the titular bridge. The other was John Keel's 14 Tour de Force, Creatures from Time and Space which featured a handful of Mothman sightings and a book that was more of an anthology of supernatural cases than a direct deep dive. He would further expand on the story of Point Pleasant's perilous journey to strangeness in 1979 with his most famous book, The Mothman Prophecies. Believe it or not, it was originally entitled The Year of the Garada, referencing the half-man, half-bird demigod of the Hindu religion. Uh, I take it y'all are familiar with the Mothman Prophecies.
2: Literally the only- That is literally the only book I know about (laughs) in regards to the Mothman.
0: I thought you were just going to say that is the only book I've ever read.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know for a fact that is not true, but I will say, you also talked a lot about the Mothman Prophecies, so I feel like I know it from you, from like years ago.
0: I, I did like my entire capstone on the Mothman prophecies and its impact on the culture of West Virginia.
2: Yes! Oh I my god! <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> <fragile>. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch.
1: I'm sorry.
0: I don't think you are. <laughs> this is our aesthetic, this is our dynamic. It is Jessica bullies me?
2: I support it, Jessica.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm outnumbered. This book was later adapted into the 2002 movie, The Mothman Prophecies. The screenwriter, one Richard Hattam, Hattam, Hattam came across Kiel's book by a Pasadena bookstore during a bout of insomnia. He was so impressed that he called Kiel the very next day to pitch the idea of a film adaptation. Hattam found himself chilled by the book and wanted to write a screenplay with a focus on psychological horror. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, he said, quote, I wanted to write a story that said you can ask questions about why things happen, but they are the sort of things that we're never going to get an answer to. This was a movie about dealing with something that human beings will never be equipped to understand, end quote. Which, having really deep dived in that case, 100% makes sense. Uh, the rights of the script were purchased by Lakeshore Entertainment in 1998. Mark Pellington was chosen to direct. And though I say the film is an adaptation, it's more like a modern reimagining, with inspiration taken from a book rather than a one-for-one retelling. Possibly the biggest change is that the film is set not in the 1960s, but the then-modern day of 2002. A lot of characters are written, cases are omitted or combined, and stories changed in order to make the somewhat extensive and widespread conspiracy of the book into a narrative more fit for a feature film. However, some stand-ins are pretty easy to see amongst the cast of characters. For example, Gordon Smallwood, played by Will Patton, fills a role of Woodrow Darren Berger as the contactee with his life ruined by a connection to the paranormal. Connie Mills, played by Laura Lenny, was their version of Mary Cotter, but as a sheriff instead of a reporter. She served as a local to help bridge the gap between the Frying Townsfolk and the main character wrapped up in the madness. Richard Gere as John Klein, which is obviously supposed to be John Keel. Keel himself approved of this, commenting, quote, Richard Gere does a great job of gradually going nuts, end quote. There is a second character representative of Kiel, though. Alan Bates plays Professor Alexander Leek.
1: There's a leak in the book!
0: <laughs> An experienced paranormal investigator whose research sent him into a paranoid-fueled existential crisis, more in line with the one Kiel had towards the end of his investigations. The central antagonist of this film is Indra Cold, played by Bill Lang, portrayed here not as an uncanny alien with a rictus grin, but as an unknowable, mysterious force that changes form based on who is perceiving it. Cold's most terrifying scenes, however, are the ones where he delivers chilling phone calls to Klein, often detailing unsettling predictions or making grim statements about Klein's dead wife and these scenes are affected due, in large part to the fantastic voice work from the director himself, Mark Pellington. Uh, Point Pleasant, the film was played instead by the town of Katanin, Cat, Pennsylvania. And the film's climactic scene depicting a silver bridge collapse was filmed on the Catenin Citizens Bridge. Other scenes were also filmed in Washington, D.C. and Pittsburgh. Whoa. The film's soundtrack, Whoa. yeah. The film's soundtrack was composed by a creative lab named Tom and Andy, one word, no caps, with additional songs provided by King, Black Acid, and Lowe. Lowe and Tom and Andy collaborated to create the title song and probably the most popular track on the soundtrack uh, called Half-Life, which actually won an award. Uh, With a budget of $32 million, the film grossed $90.1 million and enjoyed a decent critical reception. However, well, the film has had the further effect of catapulting Mothman into the mainstream. So integral was this film to the legacy of our red eyed envoy of inevitability that a lot of the props from the movies are still on display today in the Mothman Museum. So, have you guys seen the movie? No.
2: No. <laughs>
0: no. I did. Was pretty spooky.
2: Was it spooky?
0: Is uh, yeah. Uh, it has a big X Files tone to it, honestly. Um, Ooh. I would check. It. I recommend checking it out for people who are as obsessed with the shiny hiney as I am. The
2: God. <laughs> Not the shiny hiney. Boy. Don't worry.
0: We have a bit about the statue. Oh, Don't you worry? Of course. We're... Now, when I went
1: to. Uh... Roville for thanksgiving i was with my friend who had gone to wbu for like four years and so she kind of got obsessed with mothman while she was down there and um just so happens that she had these two stuffed mothman plushies and now i am the proud owner of a stuffed mothman so can i see it like right now
0: well, after after we're done recording yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> my, actually wait real head. quick Jess, please send a photo of it to the chat. I want to see it too. (laughs) Thank you. You
0: can put it on the Twitter if you don't mind. Yeah, we can put it on the Twitter. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Hey, you know what? That would be a fun thing to do as a group as we all sit around and watch some Mothman prophecies.
2: There we go. We can, they have those like online watch party things that that got popular during COVID. So we could always do something like that, message back and forth about it.
0: I, I had a really good viewing experience because I saw it at home. I purchased it on YouTube and I started around five o'clock. So, as the film went on and got scarier, it started getting darker outside and it actually spooked me a little bit. Oh my gosh. I, I, I checked the off, man.
2: The vibes were immaculate.
0: Immaculate. Plus, I was home alone, which I felt.
2: Jesus. That's the perfect atmosphere.
0: This wasn't the only appearance Mothman made on a big and small screen though. Also in 2002, Mothman appeared in a seven to eight minute segment on the July 29th episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, a whole generation just got reintroduced to so that thanks to Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. Before that, there was a passing reference to The Flying Cryptid on episode The X-Files, Detour, aired on November 23rd, 1997 mothman made two more tv appearances in 2010 on february 10th mothman was the star of an episode of monster quest and frankly i can't sing this show's praises enough it's weirdly nostalgic to me and it's actually what got me into cryptids to begin with for those who don't know monster quest is a show on a history channel they talk about cryptids and they have like fun little reenactments and they send dipshits out in the woods to go look for the monster for like 20 minutes they but never this, find jack shit
2: and this isn't even the first time we've talked about monster quest i feel like this is like the third time I, they've been like featured i
0: love monster quest <laughs> i will bring up every opportunity i can
2: but didn't they do something for like the lizard man and then that fly bird guy I did, whose name escapes me, like
1: <laughs> Thunderbird.
2: Thank you, Jesus. It's been a minute. <laughs> you said
1: two more TV appearances.
0: Oh, we're getting to that.
1: There's, I can think of more than two more.
0: Well, I did. I didn't want to make this like a million. Okay. Hours. So a I million. went for the bigger ones. That same year, in April, the sci-fi channel released their made-for-TV movie titled Just Mothman. Instead of a harbinger of misfortune, their version of Mothman is recast as a supernatural agent of vengeance, conjured up by ancestral curse to kill those guilty of murder. In the film, it hunts down a group of friends after they co- cover up the accidental drowning of one of their own. And the film sucks. <laughs> The cheapness is clear as day. Their Mothman, though, having an interesting design, um, he's not... He doesn't resemble what they're described to look at at all, but their version of Mothman is almost like a funeral veil. Like, his face is like a funeral veil that parts open when he kills people. Ew. Um, But it's in CGI. CGI that looks Shit. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, God. There was a moth it's cool. a moth. And the less said about the acting, the better. Although I do want to acknowledge the standout performance from Jewel Stady, best known for her role in Firefly. I probably mispronounced that, but whatever.
2: Fucking love Firefly. Not surprisingly.
0: I'm so sad. I only had one season. I know. A movie.
2: But Serenity, oh, that movie was so goddamn good. I love Nathan Fillion. He's like the best. I I, 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 oh, I fucking love that show.
1: Nathan. Oh, Nathan.
2: You understand.
1: He's in a show called The Rookie, which is also really fucking good. Um, yes. I have a question.
0: What?
1: Are you familiar with um Cars. <laughs> what? Cars
0: Oh yeah Mothman was in one of the car shows That came out this what? year. What? Yeah they had an episode about they, re, Disney Plus released a series of shorts Called uh, Cars On the Road And one of the episodes is that they meet a cryptid hunter And they name drop Mothman as one of the cryptids out there
1: Also I'm pretty sure Riverdale Has brought up Mothman at this point Yep yeah. So Mothman is very much ingrained in, like, not only, like, our culture around here, but just pop culture in general, which I know it's, like, pretty much the topic for this entire episode is how relevant Mothman has become, but it is insane to me. Just, like, fucking Riverdale. 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 Like, Cole Sprouse.
0: (laughs) Am I allowed to say that show sucks?
1: It does suck. And now
0: the devil's in it. For some reason, I'm like, isn't this supposed to be Archie?
1: It sucks, but for a very long time, I was like, yes, Riverdale. Like, Kaylee and I literally bought every season of Riverdale one time because I was like,
2: it keeps getting worse, but I need to know how much worse it's going to get. <laughs> Is It's a <laughs> train wreck. It. It's a train wreck you can't look away from.
0: That's a good, yeah. Not surprisingly, Mothman has also been the subject of multiple documentaries. The Eyes of the Mothman was one such example released in 2011. I also want to focus on the ones by the great people over at Small Town Monsters who released some quality documentaries, if I may say so. They've actually covered Mothman several times. In 2017's The Mothman Point Pleasant, 2019's *Tear in the Skies, and 2020's The Mothman Legacy.
1: Wow. wow.
0: Sponsor of Small Town Monsters or really just hang out
1: just acknowledge that we exist that'd be cool
0: (laughs) yeah that'd be pretty cool hey if you need a research guy i made 15 pages on fucking pop culture
1: if you need security
0: (laughs) six hours of mothman content in this podcast However, the Mothman's presence is best felt where else but his own hometown of Point Pleasant. As a legend has risen in popularity, Point Pleasant has accepted their winged wonder as a welcome to beloved piece of local history. Multiple stores have opened with products themed around the creature. Not to mention, an entire Mothman themed food industry seems to have popped up in the small town. What's a Scoop is a local ice cream parlor that offers Mothman sundaes with red cherries for eyes and graham crackers for wings. Uh, Village Pizza Inn itself, a site of a Mothman counter, makes a special Mothman pizza with mushroom wings, bell pepper legs, and cherry red tomatoes for the red eyes. <laughs> and the coffee grinder sells all kinds of moth- moth-related treats like Mothman milkshake, Mothman droppings, which are actually just espresso beans covered in chocolate, uh, Mothman cookies, and many more. <laughs> what?
1: Mothman droppings? Yeah. I, I, I understand chocolate covered espresso beans because I love those, but like, I can't imagine just someone being like, fuck yeah, moth poop.
0: <laughs> hey, I've met some weirdos on the internet who would be into that. I have to. And we're going to get to one of those weirdos. <laughs> oh good. In a bit. Oh. Don't you worry. And finally, the Mothman Urban Legends Barn Grill, which sadly is no longer open.
1: Aww. I should have visited
0: when I had to. Pour one out for a homie. And of course, a discussion on Mothman's pulp cultural impact wouldn't be complete without mention of the Mothman Festival. Right off the publicity of the movie, the first Mothman Festival was in 2002, and still runs today. I actually attended the twenty twenty two Mothman Festival and it was so fun. They had guest speakers, live music, and lots of cryptid themed merchandise. Not just Mothman centric either. You could find stuff for the Flatwoods Monster, the Beast of Grafton, and one group came all the way from Wisconsin to represent the Hodag. Hey hodag out
2: the I was gonna say, do we have
0: an episode on the hoodag?
1: I'll yes, and that's
0: my friend Audrey. She lives in Wisconsin now. Oh yes, uh, it affected JFK, but that's that was a story for another episode.
1: visitor.
0: On average, Mothman Festival pulls in over fifteen thousand people every year. But after the COVID lockdown, the streets were packed. Uh, they said easily up to like twenty thousand people at this year's Mothman Festival. This is just insane. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Nuts. I've never been to Point Pleasant, so I don't know what it looks like. We have to go. I know we have
0: to go. We have to go. They have an escape room now, themed on Mothman.
1: Mothman,
0: oh, Mothman.
1: That's another pop culture bullshit.
0: In 2002, Charles Humphrey, organizer of Main Street Point Pleasant, which acts as kind of like a group of businesses trying to invigorate the town's economy, drove out to meet with one Bob Roach. Uh, he wanted the retired welder to build something. Something that would act as a beacon to draw tourists and cryptid lovers to their humble town. A metallic statue of a creature that would stand on Main Street. Bob took some convincing, but Charles supposedly won him over with a single promise. Quote, Bob, you make that Mothman, and you'll be known around the world. End quote. September 13th, 2003, the finished project was unveiled. The statue depicted the Mothman as a humanoid creature with ruby red eyes, massive butterfly-style wings, chiseled abs, and the now infamous shiny hymen. Showing that the Mothman does indeed do squats.
1: Double cheeked up so, on a on Thursday, Thursday
0: afternoon. afternoon. I'm sorry, we're brain damaged.
1: <laughs> Dame <laughs> bramaged
0: Am I apologizing to Kent here, the listeners? Yes. yes. <laughs>
1: oh, well, hmm.
0: The opening ceremony even was attended by one John Keel, who came as the guest of honor. So popular was the statue that the Mothman Museum actually hosts a Mothcam stream with a 24 hour stream of the statue at any time. What? Yeah, you just look at the statue.
1: That's insane.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: Of course you do.
0: I... <coughs> Mothman, if you're listening, please marry me.
1: Mothman, oh Mothman, you really know how to treat a Harmon.
0: Now, in the last few years, a bizarre ritual has popped up around the Mothman statue as anonymous devotees have been uh, leaving cans of beans in front of the statue, almost like offerings left at an altar. Uh, Have any of you seen this before? The the museum posts about people, it actually used to be a big problem People just leave so many fucking cans of beans there.
1: Okay, but then they could collect them and like donate them to a food shelter they or did. something. That's good. I mean, honestly, I think it's interesting for sure. What kind of beans? Just baked beans. Baked beans? Baked beans. Okay, so like not like black beans or garbanzo beans or green beans, beans. or just baked beans, like bushes baked beans yeah. or like off brand
0: Usually Bushes.
1: Usually Bushes. It's a very West Virginia type of deal. Um, I think that's interesting. I don't know. I, I don't understand the point, though.
0: Yeah. We, we, There's two explanations. Okay. I'll get to them in a bit. Kenzie, have has heard of this?
2: Bean beans? Heard of beans? No. Yeah, need
0: beans for the mob. Never.
2: Ever, ever, never. All right. This, I'm surprised you haven't even mentioned to, it to me prior to this
0: it's so stupid Uh, now I found two explanations for this one is that it's tied to the Mothman cult presented in Fallout 76 since cans of beans are common food items in the game I bet that's it the second is a bit more fucking weird
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, posited by one infinite jester flop on twitter that's their username the Bean Connection comes from the works of a writer named Chuck Tingle. In his seminal work, quote, Bisexual Mothman Mailman makes a special delivery in our butts. That's the name of the book. Chuck Tingle, I should mention, is a prolific author of surrealist, comedic, cryptid themed erotica. Ew! <laughs>
2: I'm not surprised. Ew. I'm really not surprised.
0: Dude writes like 50 books a year.
1: That's fucking disgusting. Why are we <laughs> sexualizing the cryptids?
0: Uh, I I, I'm not surprised.
2: Titles.
0: Chuck Tingle, if you're there, sponsor us.
2: Just Chuck Tingle sounds icky. Yeah. Tingle.
0: Mm. Tingle. Tingle. Tingle.
2: Please, please. Fuck. Please don't be offended by this, Chuck.
0: No, I hate, you know what? I kind of stand him. Uh, hey, if you can make a profit doing that, go for it.
2: How do you make a profit doing
0: that? He sells a lot of ebooks. <laughs> oh, I bet he does. Well, um,
2: and also, real quick, there is a huge section of erotic, like fan fiction. So, I mean, it's really not that far fetched. And there's a huge, like, platform of people who read it so let's not there's no uh, some
0: other here are some other titles pounded in the butt by my handsome sentient library card who seems otherworldly but in reality it's just a natural part of the priceless resources our library system provides
1: why are his book titles <laughs> like old <laughs> panic at the disco song titles
0: dude won a hugo award Two of them. I don't know what a Hugo is. It goes to the best sci-fi writer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what the fuck?
0: There's also uh, bisexual buckaroos. <laughs> Maybe. And and he has a D&D style RPG coming out soon. Set in the Tingleverse.
1: The Tingleverse?
0: <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> In 2005, Jeff Lambsley organizer of the Mothman Festival, would go on to establish the Mothman Museum, a curated collection of newspaper clippings from the movie, as well as a gift shop with an extensive selection of merchandise. Situated at four main, 400 Main Street in Point Pleasant, the Mothman Museum stands not only as an archive of cryptid lore, but as a true landmark for fortune minded tri- Tourists and a lover of the strange and supernatural. This year, to my knowledge, I heard they're renovating and actually adding a Mothman themed escape room, which I think would make for a fun episode at some point.
1: Across the
0: street is the Point Pleasant Training Company. An extension of the museum, but with more of a novelty store edge to it. They sell Mothman Brute Beer, some of the best cryptid themed t shirts I've ever seen, and lots of other stuff. More than just Mothman. what
1: Mothman dildos? There's yeah. a market for that.
0: Yeah, as Chuck Tingle has demonstrated.
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, but no, uh, more than just Mothman, they sell items themed around Bigfoot, aliens, UFOs, and generally anything, anything spooky, spooky. Probably the most obvious hypothesis, given to, uh, given our focus on UFOs, is that Mothman is an extraterrestrial. Do I even have to explain this one? We had an entire episode dedicated to bizarre lights seen over Point Pleasant. We have grinning men claiming to be from lanyl oaks, tattle mutilations very similar to those seen in UFO hotspots, and Mothman definitely seems like something out of this world. Not to mention the presence of Air Force officials and possibly federal agents on top of WVSS makes sense. Project Blue Book, the Air Force's initiative to catalog and research cases of UFOs, was up and running until 1969. Nice. So if there were alien antics about, it makes sense for the government to have some clandestine investigation. The Grayman's eerie behavior seems reminiscent of disguised aliens. Being from another planet, they wouldn't understand the finer points of human behavior. That also brings us to another theory about Andrew Cold and the gray men themselves, that they're manufactured humans, possibly even hybrids. Think about it. The blood truck robbery. The vague NASA warning about women throwing babies from windows. Heck, several of the most prominent Mothman witnesses were women either with babies or pregnant with them. There's that one case of the man who got robbed by the uh, humanoids. When he was was stargazing with his cousin, they asked if the cousin was his wife. So it seems like they do have an interest in human reproduction. Uh, Ravenwood, those two teens, were flashed by UFO while they are doing the do. So it seems like they have an interest in genetics, let's say. Darren Berger's own wife said that they could blend into humanity disturbingly easily. What if this isn't their first visit? What if Indra, Cold, and the Grittyman are the results of years and years of genetic experimentation to make hybrids who can embed themselves in our communities, our government, our world? But if Mothman is an ex- extraterrestrial, that raises an important points. I mentioned the Mothman phenomenon had lots of similarities to other cases of UFOs and alien encounters. That makes one wonder why those UFO hotspots aren't also having Mothman sightings. If a Mothman was an ally to the extraterrestrials, why don't more UFO encounters involve a creature like Mothman? Thoughts? Y'all think it's an alien?
2: I don't know, Harmon. Alien is just so hard to, like, accept without further proof, I guess. So that one's always hard for me. But I will say,
1: okay.
2: I will say on the like the demon angel part too. Um, I've when I first heard about Mothman when I was younger, I heard him referred to as like a guardian angel. That is how I always heard him, but not in the sense of like heaven and hell, but more so in the sense of like, you know, it was a warning sign and all that. So I don't know, that, all of those theories are very interesting.
1: I don't know about the alien thing. I, I believe in aliens, very much so. But I don't think Mothman is an alien.
0: Okay, we'll save the, I was gonna ask what you think it is, but I think we should save that for the discussion. John Keel has own theory. The Mothman is not an extraterrestrial, but an ultra terrestrial. I believe we've covered this concept before, but the ultimate difference is that ultra-terrestrials are native to Earth, but instead come from a different, perhaps even higher, plane of existence. It would be almost Lovecraftian or elder to nature, utterly incomprehensible to humanity, as their perceptions would be completely unlike our own. One example would be their perception of time. Instead of experiencing the flow of time as a strictly linear emotion only moving forward, they could instead experience it as sort of non-linear time. Instead of just moving forward, they can move through it as they wish. This will explain the Mothman's omen-like nature as well as the Grinningman's ability to predict future events. It might even go on to explain some of the weirder aspects of the case, such as the strange mannerisms of the Grinning Men their seeming ability to astral project and why their presence seems to cause electrical interference. This theory also gives a sinister, sinister twist to the seeming incoherence of the phenomenon. What we see as random, inexplicable strangeness could be, in the eyes of ultra actions in a game simply beyond our comprehension. It seems nonsensical to us because they are just operating on a level so far above our ability to understand and it's inconsequential to them. Uh, To quote Richard Gere, The Mothman Prophecies, would you stop to explain yourself to a cockroach? And that's how they would see us. Like, I don't know, just being so above us that it doesn't matter if it makes sense to us. It's just not relevant to their plans.
1: I would indeed explain
0: myself to a
1: cockroach, though. I'm just so weird. Like, i I see it and be like, hey,
0: buddy. But you know it doesn't get it. I know it
1: doesn't
2: get it, but I mean, like, I explain things to my dog. Exactly. I talk to my cats (laughs) all the time, and they don't know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, so even if they started to explain it to us, we wouldn't get it.
2: But it would still be nice.
0: I guess. Now, the last explanation might have gone off the deep end a little bit, so I guess we should ground ourselves a bit and focus on some of the more skeptical explanations. JP, this is for you. And that brings us to our favorite recurring figure on the show, Joe Nickel of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. We discussed him in our Kentucky Goblins episode, and he's bringing back the classic, it was an owl explanation, specifically a barred owl. This is supported by the barn owls, uh, the barred owls' eerie noises, its propensity for hanging around abandoned buildings like the North Power Plant, and the fact that the, their eyes can reflect a red light when a light is shone directly into their eyes. He put his theory to the test during an episode of Monster Quest by having subjects drive down a dark road with a wooden cutout of Mothman and try to guess the size, with none of them giving an accurate estimation. However, I disagree. The test is not an accurate example because he presents the Mothman as a stationary object when, in reality, Mothman was on the move. In the Scarberry Mountain sighting, Mothman kept up with a a car going 100 miles per hour. The Bardow's maximum flight speed? 30! 30 miles per hour! That, and Linda did get a good look at it, good stationary view of the creature, when she saw it outside her house perched on a lamppost. And that's not even getting to the Marcella Bennett's counter, where she was literally face to face with the damn thing. On top of that, Al's doesn't explain any of the other strange events going on in Point Pleasant, like the grain men or UFOs. But with that dip into the rational out of the way, I want to present a new theory, an original from yours truly. One that I think sounds insane on the surface, but as you dig deeper, makes a lot of sense. Mothman is a fairy.
2: I'm For those sorry? unaware,
0: let, let me get into it. Better known as a fae. For those unaware, fae are creatures from Irish slash Celtic myth, predominantly known as nature spirits. They range from house gnomes to banshees and so on. And I believe that Mothman, as well as the surrounding strangers, may be part of fae trickery. It starts to make sense when you think about some of the finer details in the case. The stranger at Mary Hires' office who took the pin after she offered to let him have it—anyone familiar with a fae knows that when they that they have very elaborate laws of hospitality, and gift giving is a huge part of their culture. Often, the exchange of gifts with the fae gives them a sort of power over you after taking the pin the grinning man seemed to take a more intense approach towards mary Iyer. speaking of which there's also the recurring theme of gold the librarian stocking jay pyro asked if there's a u which is the chemical symbol of gold before she emerged from the dress rack the checker suited man seemed ward off by the gold crucifix now typically the fair ward off by iron but a few select stories Certain Fae, such as the Doulahan, which we better know as the Headless Horseman, can be repelled by gold. Further, this would explain why there seem to be two contesting factions. Apol constantly referred to an enemy, and many of the actions taken by the Grinning Men seem contradictory. We also have the Humanoid, who wrought that one witness, and Andrew Cold had to recover his stuff. This might be explained by the fact that in Celtic myth, there are actually two groups of Fae, the seely and the Unsealy Court. The main difference between the two is that the Sealy Court are assholes, and the Unsealy Court are even bigger assholes. So, what we're seeing is MIBs might be fairies in disguise, which is why, again, they don't get the finer points of human interaction. And it also kind of fits in with the whole idea of changelings, sending Fae who would learn about human society and blend in shape-shifting into humans. Past that, it even gives a reason for the poltergeist activity, as the fae also include a variety of house spirits, fairies that tend to live within human homes. One prime example is the brownie of Scottish tradition, who, when provoked, is known to smash objects, make noises, and throw things around the house. All behavior described by witnesses in Point Pleasant. Like Linda Scarberry and uh, Mabel McDaniel, their home was filled with poltergeist activity after they saw the Mothman. April's predictions of coming disaster are reminiscent of the Banshee foretelling coming death. Speaking of April, he himself states the Mothman is a creature from underground. Surprisingly, that still fits with the Fae theory. You see, in Irish Myth, there is a, uh, a race of monstrous creatures known as the Fomorians none of the traditional descriptions really fit the mothman but i will point out that some were des- described as goatman hybrids so mothman isn't that far off on top of that femorians are known to have originated from underground one last thing i'll mention is that the leader of the Fae, leader of the femorians balor was known to have an eye on his forehead that possessed magical powers typically it was destructive magic like fire or poison and even earned the title, earned him the title, Balor of the Evil Eye. Though Mothman's eyes never shot flame, there is a connection between the terrifying effect of its gaze and the evil eye we see in the Femurian. And finally, the predictions, the titular prophecies, foretellings of great disaster and death. Well, that's not that different from a banshee's cry, right? The Fey are frequently seen as omens of demise, and this fits neatly into their modus operandi. Thoughts?
1: I mean, it's a it's a good theory.
2: Repeat your question, Harmon. Like your end question, why you asked that thoughts? Repeat that, please. I like blanked. Oh. Just say your uh, last. Just sentence.
0: saying that the prophecies aren't.
2: Yeah. Go, the Fey are frequently
0: seen as omens of demise, and this fits neatly into their modus operandi.
2: Okay. I mean... See, it's... Okay, real fast. It's not that I don't believe in, like, this kind of stuff. I do to a degree. Like, especially with, like, aliens and, like... But when it gets into fae territory, I... I I don't know. I I struggle a little bit. Because I feel like a lot of these different, like, folklore and, like, mythological creatures, they all have some overlap. So, it's, like, hard... To say that Mothman is like any particular thing. Does that make sense? So, like, yeah, maybe all, huh?
0: Can I hit you with a piece of evidence I learned at a Mothman festival? Okay. Back when we were Pangea, we were one supercontinent. Mm-hmm. West Virginia and the Appalachians were connected to the Irish and Scottish Highlands. So, that might be why fae are a thing here.
2: Huh? Yeah. Um, uh huh. There's th- well, th- okay. Listen, there's just a lot of theories, and like, there's just a lot <laughs> to wrap your head around because the Mothman it just happens to be a lot. Um, so yes, there's all these things that could say. Some of these theories sound better than some of the other ones, but I still really believe like if you technically just smashed all these theories together, you you would you would get you would get Mothman.
0: Yeah, they always seem to describe a little bit of why. Yeah. And I'm seeing a really the picture. Exactly. Uh, That's the last of our theories. And the last bit on our journey into Point Pleasant's year-long descent into the weird. There's no more evidence, no more theories, just the finale we've all been waiting for. So, the discussion. And let me ask, for the last time this season, do you believe?
2: Jess, you go first.
1: All right, in Mothman, yes. I don't know exactly which theory I would, like, believe is the exact explanation. You
0: don't have to pick a theory. Um, it's just, if you think... The Mothman phenomenon is something anomalous, is something paranormal.
1: I do, I do. And the thing is, I believe in Mothman. I don't believe in fairies,
0: so, like... (laughs) (laughs) Tinkerbell just died.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna go, she didn't get enough attention and she died. Well, Mothman gets all the attention in the world, so motherfuckers, fine. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a really hard one to kind of fit into like one category because there is so much surrounding it.
0: We're gonna break it into pieces. So let's just start with the Mothman himself. Do we believe? Yes. Kenzie? Yes. And you know I have to believe. So that's round one. Indra Cold in The Grinning Men. Do we believe? Yes. Uh, I also say yes. Ah, them. I don't know. Are you not (laughs) convinced?
2: I'm not really
0: what? convinced. Okay, what what do we need to convince you? Let me argue this point.
2: I I don't know. Walk me... Okay, what did you call them again? The Grinning Men and the, the Gray Men? You cut out.
0: Andrew Cold and the Grinning Men. Okay. They I are don't... known for their big smile.
2: See, ugh, there's just been so many like horror movies lately playing off of it that... Like I can't take it seriously in general. And
0: But that's the, that just reflect on a case from the sixties.
2: I guess not, but I just it's just a weird again, it's just another weird one that I'm just kind of like, are you uh uh I
0: call them grinning you probably know them as the men in black.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're suspicious. It's suspicious, but like there's all these those minute black stuff and it can be explained sometimes.
0: thing of Andrew Cold though is that he spoke to Woodrow Darenberger telepathically. Woodrow Berger was found to have no mental illnesses. He was examined by two different doctors, and one of those doctors would get telepathic mef- messages from Indra Cold himself. Which is why I, I'm, I'm convinced. I think intricate gold is real.
2: But tele- telepathy, Harmon. Like, come on. Yeah. I, I, I don't. don't, you, what, don't you do that?
0: Uh,
2: telepathy? I just. I know that sounds weird coming from somebody who's like, oh, yeah, like stones have energies and I do spell jars, but <laughs> I don't know. There's just some parts of it that like just make me not want to say, yes, I believe in it, if that makes sense. Okay, that's good. Okay.
0: So are uh, you going no, or just on the fence?
2: I'm on the fence. I can't say no either, but mm-hmm. I can't say yes. I have to be authentic.
0: And I guess we'll end on this part. The UFOs.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Yes.
0: What makes you so Sure.
1: My great grandmother
2: saw
0: a UFO in like the sixties. Okay, and I believe too. Man, (laughs) you're really feeling JP's absence right now.
2: I know he'd be the one. No, he'd be like, no, fuck you guys. All those things, false. All those things, fake. They're all bears.
0: Bears, bears, bears. He calls everything bear.
2: Everything's a bear. Um. Wow, it has scales. It's a bear. It has wings. Also a bear. It's a bear in a fairy costume.
0: But regardless of what we think the Mothman is, any theories we have about it, overall, how are we all feeling? Yes or no? Yes. Do we believe in the Mothman? Yes. Okay, that's all. Yes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I don't, hey, you wanted to argue? You've been here. Ha- you
2: can suck it. Know you. <laughs> Harman, can it, I can't, Harman, I can never argue with you against the Mothman. Like, even if all your arguments, like leading up to this, like all your evidence and stuff hadn't been very like, good, like I still probably wouldn't have argued with you because you just, I, you're a Mothman lover. I, I can't take that away from you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're and, welcome. I have it. Whatever the conclusion is, uh, regardless of how JP wants to weigh in, we'll have this argument in the group chat. Might post an update. We'll see. <laughs> I think I speak for all of us. When I say this season finale has been a roller coaster of a case and our largest by far. Yes. And I just wanted to say this is a great second season. We've grown so much this year. We have a new co-host, a new theme song, new platforms to host our show. Our audience has grown significantly since last year. Almost doubled. And well, hell it's the season finale. I can afford I can afford to be a little personal. I want to say thank you. Thank you to my amazing co-hosts. I am so lucky to get a chance to sit around a table and talk with some of my best friends and discuss creatures that exist somewhere between science and superstition. Thank you to Katie at Appalachian who support the show every step of the way. And most of all, thank you, listeners, the strangers who join us episode after episode to hear us discuss these incredible creatures. I hope the show can be a reminder that the world is full of things beautifully strange and Strangely beautiful. I hope that sparks, however tiny it might be, a sense of wonder at the possibility of what could really be out there. Out in the snow-tipped mountains, in the shadow-clad forests, (laughs) out in the deep blue seas or the expansive skies above. Is there, beyond the hustle and bustle of our lives, that remember the world still has room for the weird and the wonderful. And that's going to wrap up season two for us then. But don't fret, friends, because this isn't it. Uh, no, 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 it's only a beginning. In a few months, we'll be back with season three, a whole new batch of creepy cryptids, terrifying specters, and mysterious happenings. But for now, don't get on bridges with Richard Gear. never trust the fairies, and above all else, stay spooky out there.